Have you ever had one of those mornings where you wake up and you're like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what, this is one of those mornings. I guess I'm doing radio. Welcome. Is Eric Erickson here? The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I've been sitting here talking down the line to Jim and getting everything ready and then heard the music starts like, wait a second. Am I supposed to be on radio? Oh, look at the time. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, so here we are, and, and yes, I am prepared, contrary to, to what you might presume. Uh, in the next hour, uh, I re- sat down yesterday with Governor Kemp, and we talked about some good news. I will bring you that in the next hour, uh, about a 10, 11-minute interview with Governor Kemp. Uh, I, I want to wait till then because we got a couple of stations that can't pick up the 9 o'clock hour right now and want to make sure they're on board so we can maximize it. It's it's good news. The state of Georgia, as I mentioned yesterday, I think I might have broken the media embargo on it because I announced it several hours before the news actually broke. Uh, Georgia is below 1,000 COVID-19 cases in hospitals now for the first time since April 8th. That is very good news. The trajectory in the state is good news. And interestingly enough, we're seeing the media now come out and suggest fraud. Uh, Down in Florida, let me read you this story out of Florida. Here's the headline uh, in Florida Today, which is the Gannett uh, USA Today version of the Florida paper. Uh, Florida's scientist was fired for refusing to manipulate COVID-19 data. The scientist who created Florida's COVID-19 data portal wasn't just removed from her position on May 5th. She was fired on Monday by the Department of Health, she said, for refusing to manipulate data. Rebecca Jones said in an email to the USA Today network that she single-handedly created two applications in two languages, four dashboards, six unique maps with layers of data functionality for 32 variables covering a half a million lines of data. Her objective was to create a way for Floridians and researchers to see what the COVID-19 situation was in real time. Then she was dismissed. I worked on it alone 16 hours a day for two months, much of which I was never paid for. And now that this has happened, I'll probably never get paid for. She wrote in an email confirming that she had not been reassigned on May 5th, but fired from her job as geographic information systems manager for the Florida Department of Health. After USA Today Network first reported Jones removal from her position in charge of the Florida COVID-19 data and surveillance dashboard she created, she confirmed, as reported by CBS 12 in West Palm Beach, that she was fired because she was ordered to censor some data but refused to manually change data to drum up support for the plan to reopen. She provided no further details. All right, wait a second. Wait a second. First of all, I I happen to know some of the behind the scenes stuff here. Uh, let, let Let me read you the headline. Florida's scientist was fired. What does that convey to you? What what is what does that convey to you about this person? This is a, a a perfect example of how the media has made this all a moral crusade. I want to walk you through this. So if you're just tuning in, Florida has fired their GIS, that's their Geographic Information Systems Manager. This is the woman who was in charge of the system that displayed the data for COVID-19 in Florida. For several weeks, there have been uh, problems with the data, and then she was fired. 
she says she was fired because she would not engage in a cover-up of data and uh, manipulate data and hide certain data. And the USA Today yesterday had to report that uh, there haven't actually been any changes to the data. After she was let go May 5th, in the last two weeks, there hasn't been a change in data that they haven't taken data away. They continue to update it. Um, but it, now today, another sympathetic story, the scientist who created Florida's COVID-19 data portal was fired. She's a scientist. Well, I happen to look. I Googled. There's this thing called Google. She has a degree in geography and journalism. She's not a scientist. She's the GIS manager for Florida. She's not a, now it, it, some, some outlets have called her a data scientist. What the hell is a data scientist? She's not a scientist. She's got a bachelor's degree in geography and journalism from Syracuse. She graduated in 2012. She hasn't been in this position for very long. She was in charge of displaying geographically the data for Florida's uh, pandemic. She's not an epidemiologist. She has no degree in science. She has no degree in biology. She has no degree in epidemiology. Uh, in fact, what Florida says, and it's notable that you've it buried is the claims are buried down in here. You got to go to uh, Helena Ferreira, uh, the governor's spokeswoman, saying that Florida COVID-19 dashboard was created by the team in the Division of Disease Control and Health Protection of the Florida Department of Health. Although Rebecca Jones is no longer involved, the GIS team continues to manage and update the dashboard. Emails from Jones through April showed that Jones was the one responding to feedback from researchers in a bid to improve and update her product. Jones told USA Today that she alone was responsible for every line of code. Was she really? She doesn't have a degree in computer programming. She's got a degree in geography and journalism. This is the, there, there just seems to be something wrong here. There seems to be more to the story here. She's worked there since 2018. Now, up oh, she did say, okay, USA Today does say she she has a doctorate in geography from Florida State University in 2018 and a master's of science degree in geography and mass communications from LSU and a bachelor in journalism and geography from Syracuse. So, okay, so she definitely, I, I saw the Syracuse stuff. I had not seen the, she does have a master's in journalism and geography from LSU or journalism and or mass communication geography. And she's got a doctorate in geography. Okay, fantastic. So a geospatial analyst. Wait, hang on a second. Wait, wait, wait. So she worked with the Department of Health as a geospatial analyst and then as a manager. So she's not actually a scientist but they called her a scientist. And now she says they might be censoring the science. 
here's what I can tell you from what other press reports have said. Uh, the Department of Health in Florida is managed by epidemiologists and other doctors. They wanted the data displayed in a certain way, and they thought that certain data was relevant. And she was not listening to her superiors, and she was fired for insubordination. She was adding additional information, and she was, in some cases, doing things that she was directly told not to do. So they fired her. And the media has so quickly gravitated to her as a martyr. But I want to rewind several months ago. Several months ago on the right, there were a number of vocal voices who said that the the data was wrong, the data was over-exaggerated, that um, n- not that many people were dying, the data was over-inflated, the, the viral cases, they really weren't that bad, there really weren't that many people in the hospital. Uh, there were actually some uh, right-wing fringy people who went to certain hospitals around the country and showed, look, look, There's not a crowd here. There aren't tents. Uh, Meanwhile, they ignored in urban areas what was going on. They they cherry-picked where to go. And the media forcefully pushed back on this. The media forcefully pushed back and said, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, you need go look in New York City. Go look in Atlanta. Go look in Miami. Go look in Seattle. Look at what's happening in those hospitals. Go to uh, Albany, Georgia. Phoebe Putney. Go go to New Orleans. Look at they're having they're having to set up camps in parking lots. They're having to convert parking decks into field hospitals. You had the uh, Samaritan's Purse had to go set up a field hospital in Central Park in New York City. Go look. You can't hide the bodies. In fact, in New York City, they were piling bodies into into refrigerator trucks. They still have been. In New York City, you'll you'll recall that in nursing homes, they found dead people. And the media said you can't hide the bodies. The bodies are everywhere. They're not in Florida. It almost seems like the media now believes that Ron DeSantis is somehow able to hide the bodies, that this one governor out of 50 has somehow been able to hide the bodies to understate the magnitude of the disease. And, oh, here comes this woman telling the media exactly what the media wants to believe, because otherwise the media would have to apologize for getting it all wrong. We don't know the facts here. But there certainly are two sides to the story when someone is fired. She is presenting herself in the most sympathetic light, and the media is certainly willing to believe it. They're calling her a scientist. She's got a doctorate in geography from Florida State in 2018, but she was a geospatial analyst. So her degree is in geography. She knows the the geographic information systems, the way to display geographic data to make it understandable to people to see how far and widespread a pandemic is, but she doesn't actually have a degree in epidemiology like her superiors do. She doesn't have a medical degree in the Department of Public Health. She may be responsible for displaying the data, but she's not a, a medical doctor. She's not an epidemiologist. What data does she display? The ones the epidemiologist would tell her to display. And when she doesn't do that, what happens? Well, according to Florida, she got fired for insubordination. But you don't really hear this. You don't really hear this in the USA Today piece. In fact, yesterday, when I brought this up yesterday, the USA Today story was that she was fired on May 5th and researchers are worried about the integrity of the data, but they haven't seen the problem yet. And by the way, this is so disrespectful to the team because, you know, I, I've Googled and there are pictures of this woman with her team. She wants you to believe that she hard-coded all this information and she was responsible for every single line of code. Well, as the manager, she was responsible for every single line of code, but she had an entire team working with her. 
What about that team? They're still there. Everyone wants to believe they are the indispensable person, and the media is willing to make individuals indispensable people if they can help the media narrative. I actually want to spend time. I was going to do it here until the story hit my uh, inbox this morning. I want to spend some time on the data in Florida because the media got it wrong. McKay Coppins from The Atlantic on May 15th tweeted out, what did you get wrong about COVID-19? Because everybody's gotten stuff wrong. Uh, Fauci's gotten stuff wrong. The president's gotten stuff wrong. The media's gotten stuff wrong. You've gotten stuff wrong. I've gotten stuff wrong. Everybody's gotten stuff wrong. This virus is too new. It spread too fast. China hid so much data. We're learning about it in real time. Everybody made mistakes. You know, one of the mistakes that I made was to, in mid-March, believe a lot of the media narrative in Florida that DeSantis was asleep at the switch. There were these huge crowds on the beaches in Florida. They were going to spread the virus everywhere. This was going to be devastating for Florida. That turns out not to be right. In fact, it turns out DeSantis wasn't asleep at the switch. He was actually mindful of where the virus was most likely to go. And you know what he determined based on the data? That it wasn't likely to spread among people on a beach. It was likely to spread in nursing homes. And so on March 15th, when the media was running all of these stories about the crowds on the beaches in Florida, DeSantis was issuing orders shutting down nursing homes in Florida, issuing orders that if a resident from a nursing home went to a hospital and tested positive for COVID-19, they were not allowed to go back to the nursing home. 50% of deaths have come from nursing homes in Georgia, in New York, and most places except Florida. In Florida, only 1.2% of long-term care facility residents got COVID-19. Because on March 15th, while we were all distracted by crowds on the beach, DeSantis was worried about what was going to happen in the nursing homes in Florida. And he took proactive action to make sure infected people couldn't get in there. And he saved a lot of lives. And the media now doesn't want to tell that story. They don't want to apologize. They don't want to admit they got that wrong. Instead, they're trying to drag it out and move the field goals and say, look, he's hiding the data. He's hiding the bodies. He's hiding all. We've got this woman who says she was fired because she refused to manipulate the data. She's a scientist. No, she's the manager of a GIS system within the Department of Health. DeSantis got it right. A whole lot of other people, myself included, back in March got it wrong. And at least by April, it was abundantly obvious to a lot of us, myself included, that actually, you know, Florida wasn't turning out the way the media expected. The national media, however, has never had that awakening and continues to think that Florida is a disaster. And in so thinking, continues to manipulate the story so they don't ever have to come clean with the fact that they screwed it all up. Hello there. Okay, I, I, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I want to take your phone calls too if you want to call in. The phone number is, what is my phone number? Y'all, this is, a, 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 this is one of those days. It's like my, my mouth is moving. My brain is not quite woken up. This could be a problem. <laughs> the Okay, the phone number <laughs> is, y'all have all had, it's called mom brain and dad brain. It's just one of those things. Uh, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The top of the next hour, Governor Kemp is going to join me uh, to talk about really good news here in Georgia. 
Uh, and, and, you know, the, the media doesn't want to report that good news. There actually are data truthers now on the left who are convinced that the data is all rigged and wrong. And, you know, there was the situation. Let me explain this one to you in Georgia. Uh, some local departments of public health and others, uh, they, again, my brain, they have direct access to the information database to be able to put in their information about cases. And in the metro Atlanta area, they're testing the antibody packages to see if people who they know had the virus still have the virus. Or, I'm sorry, if to, to make sure the antibody systems work, you know what you have to do is, <clears throat> excuse me, you take people who have and you know have had and you know have not had the virus. And you give them all the antibody test and you want to make sure the antibody test lines up right so that the people who have had the virus test positive and the people who have not test negative. And you know the antibody test works. The antibody test is for people who no longer have the virus but may have had the virus. It's a way to test to see if you might have had it. And so they want to make sure it's right. So they test people who they know had it and they test people who they know did not have it. And they want to make sure that you've got an actual positive instead of a false positive test the accuracy of the antibody. Well, the people who were positive, who got the antibody test and then tested positive on the antibody test were mistakenly added to the list of current positive tests in Georgia. But those people, it was 231 of them, they were already in there. And so they were backed out because it was an error, those 231 people. Uh, Because they were already in there, it was duplicate information, and now the left is screaming conspiracy. That's all that happened. There's an easily rational, understandable explanation for what happened, but the left would rather believe they've rigged the data. And the same thing is happening in Florida as well. Uh, There were errors uh, for a couple of weeks before this woman was fired. There were a series of errors in the data. All the data was fixed. No one disputes the data is, is wrong. Or, or right. I mean, everyone agrees the data is right in Florida, but this looks suspicious now. So therefore, maybe the data is rigged. Well, you would have bodies. You would have sick people and bodies, and they're not there. Hospitals are not overwhelmed. In fact, while hospitals were still being overwhelmed in New York, hospitals in Florida were on the decline. While the media was fixated on the crowded beaches in Florida in, in March, DeSantis was shutting down nursing homes, and it worked. Only 1.2% of of nursing home residents in Florida were infected. In fact, I pulled up the, let me see if I can bring this back up. I pulled up the chart in Florida on nursing homes, and it's actually amazing. 1,179 of 146,482 long-term care facility residents have been infected in Florida as of yesterday. That's 1.2%. That's incredible. That is one of the lowest in the nation, if not the lowest in the nation, a radical departure. Uh, Orlando never saw an explosion of the virus. And then remember in uh, the middle of April, the uh, mayor of Duval County, uh, that's Jacksonville, reopened Jacksonville Beach. And the media was ridiculing the mayor and the people of Florida and the people of Northeast Florida for going to the beach. The hashtag Florida morons began circulating on social media. Turns out what the media failed to report was that there were only 30 people in Duval County in the hospital for COVID-19. Only 30 people. 
and yet they were slammed for reopening their beaches. It almost makes you wonder if this is about wrecking the economy to stop Trump because they sure aren't willing to report the facts down in Florida. It must be something else. I wonder what it could be that makes them so unwilling to report the truth in Florida. Um, what? Hang on a second. I, I So welcome. I, it is Eric Erickson here. I, I want to spend some time on the Florida situation because I, I think it'd be good for all of us. But wait, I, someone just sent me this. A Colorado businessman. Wait, hang on. Let me get into the actual. This is camp. No, this is actually this is the CBS station in Denver, Colorado. Great googly moogly. A Colorado businessman created a product to help people practice social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic, realizing that even he could not accurately guess what six feet apart looked like when standing near someone else. The Social Stick USA hopes to be a convenient lightweight device that can quickly show someone the accurate distance needed to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The reason I decided to go all in on this idea was I thought I knew what six feet was. That R.T. Custer, founder of the Social Stick USA, the light bulb was really my motivation to say, I bet a lot of other people are encountering this problem. How can I solve it? The product looks similar to a car antenna. It collapses to 11 inches, but when someone fully extends it, measures exactly six feet. Custer and his team are sending out one stick each to grocery stores and nursing homes across Colorado. He's already sold the item to customers online, including family packs and sets for small businesses. (laughs) He says not only could it be a helpful tool to make sure you're standing far enough from another person, it could help businesses measure their markers to ensure customers are maintaining social distance. We all want to go out and socialize, so if we can stay six feet from each other in an effective and easy way, we can socialize and be socially... (laughs) (laughs) He also started Vortec Watches, a brand of timepieces completely made in the United States. But as an engineer, he saw the need to provide a way for people to still enjoy each other's company while following guidelines. It's an excellent room. Wow. Yeah, I mean, God bless him for his ingenuity of making a six-foot-long antenna so that... we're we're gonna have like like sword fighting and stuff uh, with these with these and y'all they, they, we're gonna have like um, uh, lightsaber duels. <laughs> Mine six feet is yours. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. All right. I, I let me let me spend a few minutes on this because I I, I really in uh, on May fifteenth McKay Coppins uh, who writes for the Atlantic he he wrote this a question I would like to see more politicians journalists Twitter pundits people in general answer. What have you been most wrong about when it comes to coronavirus? Tell you something that that I was wrong about and probably was most wrong about this, uh, the the Florida situation. I really did believe back in mid-March, as the media was highlighting what was happening in Florida and DeSantis was not taking swift action, uh, like uh, even really even Brian Kemp here in Georgia, who didn't shut down the state until April, but was already putting plans in place and being very vocal about keeping your distance, or Mike DeWine in Colorado, or in, in Ohio, rather, I was thinking, man, DeSantis really is screwing this up. Turns out, nope, DeSantis was not screwing it up. He just wasn't running in front of the camera like Andrew Cuomo, St. Andrew, the governor of New York. Uh, if only Ron DeSantis had a brother on CNN who could um, 
fluff up his brother, the governor, on TV every night and tell him what a good job he's done. Maybe DeSantis would get more credit. It, it turns out he got everything right in Florida. Most things right. I won't say everything, but most things right. Way more than Andrew Cuomo ever got. So, for example, for example, on March 15th, uh, when the media was running those sensational headlines about the beach crowds in Florida, I played the audio here that day. Remember, um, it was 60 Minutes or some such, did an expose down there on what was going on, and it was the drunk kids down uh, at the beach in Florida. At, it wasn't Daytona. I forget where it was. And uh, they, they just they wanted to go out and party, and they were going to let a virus stand in the way of their party, and we played the audio here. What DeSantis was doing that very day was ordering nursing homes to uh, not only separate patients who tested positive for COVID-19, but move them completely out of facilities and clean. He would not let those nursing home patients come back in. So DeSantis did that while everyone was focused on the beaches. And we know now the way the virus spreads that it was hitting nursing homes the hardest and the fastest, and that the people who got into nursing homes and got infected from the elderly there who were coming back from hospitals then took the virus and spread it into their communities. DeSantis shut all of that down. It became very hard for the virus to spread through nursing home vectors in ways that spread in other states because people were restricted in how they could go in and out, and the people who were tested positive for COVID-19 weren't allowed in, and the patients who tested positive weren't allowed back. For a while, if you were a a senior citizen in Florida and you went to the hospital, you weren't coming back to your nursing home even after you got out of the hospital because they didn't want you to come back uh, and be asymptomatic and spread the virus. They were putting you in places to be monitored separate from your nursing home, and it worked. Only 1.2% of Florida's nursing home elderly got the virus. That is the lowest in the nation. Not only that, but they began aggressive tracking of cases. They could do contact tracing. They knew, for example, I was told by someone I I talked to yesterday that they knew that a group of uh, senior citizens from Florida went on a cruise to Egypt, went on a Nile cruise and came back and had the virus. And that was when they knew it was coming in from abroad. And that's when they began taking action to shut down even travel from New York. Remember all the media outrage about New York? Uh, New Yorkers couldn't get into Florida. They were going to be forcibly quarantined by Florida's governor and how outrageous it was. Turns out it worked. Turns out it worked. It kept the virus from spreading. In fact, the New York Times over the weekend did a big story on where New Yorkers fled to from New York and wound up spreading the virus. Florida was one of them, the Miami-Dade area, but they had a harder time spreading it there than other parts of the country because Florida forced them to be in quarantine. It worked. And then while the media was was doing stories about the hashtag Florida morons, when Duval County, Florida reopened its beaches on April 16th, they paid no attention to the fact that there were only 30 people in a hospital in Duval County. Duval County has a million people, 958,000 people to be more precise, but a million people, round it up, a million people live in Duval County. That's the Jacksonville, Florida area. Out of a million people, only 30 were in the hospital with COVID-19. And they opened the beaches. And now we know that uh, sunshine actually is a good disinfectant. And not swallowing UV bulbs, but uh, the UV rays hit your skin, generate vitamin D. It actually works. It actually helps. We know that. 
we know that there aren't cases of spreading the virus outside. It's, it's indoor transmission. It's not outdoor. So being on the beach is actually safer than being in the local public's grocery store. But the media didn't report that. While the media was doing fawning profiles of Andrew Cuomo in New York City, Governor DeSantis decided, hey, you know what? We have areas of Florida where due to poverty or age, people walk. They don't actually drive cars. Due to lack of public transit, due to poverty, due to uh, other issues, we know there are neighborhoods in Florida where people simply are not traveling by car. They walk everywhere. So DeSantis set up walk-in testing facilities. Instead of drive up, you could walk up and get tested for COVID-19. And he targeted poorer areas of Florida where the virus was more likely to spread. And they did aggressive contact tracing through those walk-up clinics and stopped the virus from spreading. He did all of these things. And let me tell you, the results speak for themselves. New York State has a population of 19.4 million people. And 353,000 of those 19 million people got the virus. And as of this morning, 22,843 of them have died. 22,800 are dead in New York. Florida actually has more people than New York. Florida has 21.4 million people compared to New York's 19.4 million people. Two million more people live in Florida. 353,000 got the virus in New York. 46,900 got it in Florida. 46,900. 22,843 people died in New York. 2,052 are dead in Florida. New York has a higher mortality rate, 6.5% to Florida's 4.3%. 1.8%, almost 2% of New York's population got COVID-19. Only two-tenths of a percent of people in Florida got it. But the media would rather fawn over St. Andrew, the precious governor of New York. They've been disparaging DeSantis. They've been attacking him. They have been savaging him. They've been calling him an idiot. They've been calling him an underperformer. They've been calling him incompetent. You know, so there's this whole old Haley Barber axiom. Remember Haley Barber? He was the uh, chairman of the Republican National Committee. He was actually one of the best chairmen of the RNC ever. And then he became a, a governor of Mississippi. I was critical of him and some of his uh, shenanigans. But he was a very good RNC chairman, and he was always a very good campaign strategist. And one of the things that Haley Barber always said is that if you want to win a state for the presidency, you got to win it first for the governor. Win the state for the governor. The GOP won Florida for DeSantis. They won Georgia for Kemp. And both of those states are perceived to be swing states in 2020. So I'm wondering if the media's not only unwillingness to apologize, but willingness to spread conspiracy theories might have something to do with that. You've got to damage DeSantis in Florida to hurt Trump's chances of winning Florida. You've got to damage Brian Kemp in Georgia to hurt Trump's chances in Georgia. Because by every measure, by the way, by every measure, Georgia and Florida have both outperformed New York and other states. They've outperformed Louisiana, a Democratic governor. They've outperformed Michigan, a Democratic governor. They've outperformed New York, a Democratic governor. They've outperformed Massachusetts, a Democratic governor. They've outperformed Washington State, a Democratic governor. 
They've outperformed all of these governors, and yet uh, all of those governors are routinely praised for their handling of the virus. And uh, Georgia and Florida, they're condemned. Back in January and February, you may have forgotten this, but President Trump was impeached this year. He will, the trial for impeachment was this year. He was impeached by the House at the end of last year. The trial was this year. You may have forgotten this, uh, but there was actually a trial in the Senate earlier this year. The Democrats rushed it. They wanted the pomp. They wanted the spectacle. They wanted it rushed. They never did the job. They had these 20-some-odd Republicans in the House of Representatives who hate the president, who are not returning to Congress, who they could not convince to sign on to an impeachment effort. And they never even tried to build a case to get Republicans on board. They rushed it. And the media went along with it. The media never said, wait a second, maybe you should slow down. Wait a second, this is election year. Wait for the voters. Now, wait wait a second, you move so fast, why couldn't you get these Republicans? They don't like the president. The the media helped the Democrats rush this, covered for them, drew air cover for them, uh, wouldn't let on Republicans who might have made sense, only let on the crazies. And they still lost. If the Democrats were that willing to rush a botched impeachment, surely they would be willing to keep the economy wrecked to do in Trump. And surely the media would be willing to go along with it. The media and the Democrats are collaborators in this. By every metric, Florida has outperformed New York. And you would never know it. By every measure, Florida has bested New York. Georgia has bested New York. And what the media is doing now is allowing left-wing kooks to peddle conspiracy theories that the data is fraudulent, the data is rigged, the data is forged. Y'all... The data is not forged. The data is not rigged. Uh, The data just happens to be good news. And the media doesn't want you to believe the good news because they want you to stay in your house. Some of them are afraid the virus is going to rebound. And they're afraid you're going to get confident. You're going to go outside. You're going to act stupid. You're not going to wear a mask. You're not going to wash your hands. You're going to get the virus. And we're going to go through this all again. There is legitimate concern to that. There is a legitimate concern. But there is an increasing concern on the left that if the virus doesn't rebound, and if the economy gets back open, Donald Trump could get reelected. Which do you think is shaping the media coverage? Yes, I do. And coming up at the top of the hour, Governor Brian Kemp is going to join me. And I, um, well, oh, wait. Ooh, what is, what is, what is this? Ooh, looks like there was a restraining, an injunction against stalking and Leon. Ke- Ooh. There may be there there may be even more to this story about the fired person. Man, my goodness, uh, my goodness. Okay, we'll we'll get there. But uh, you know, it, let me let me give you some good news here. In Georgia, in Georgia, the number of COVID nineteen cases continues to decline, and in Georgia, the number of people in hospitals continues to go down. We're below a thousand people. If you will recall, last week there was a big press conference. There's a huge hotspot for the virus up in Gainesville, Georgia. Gainesville, Georgia has a poultry processing facility 
and uh, it is largely Hispanic immigrants who work in the poultry processing facility, and the virus began spreading among them, and and given uh, how they live, it was spreading within their communities, it was spreading within people in common houses, it was spreading into um, Hispanic markets in Gainesville, and the governor put together a task force of Spanish-speaking elected officials and doctors and sent them into the community in Gainesville, educating people in Spanish about what was going on. And guess what? They turned the corner quicker than anyone expected. They are seeing a a rapid decline in the spread of COVID-19 in Gainesville. Once they went in and spoke the language of the people who were getting the virus, it turned the corner quickly, more quickly than they expected. It was very good news in Gainesville, Georgia. That's not getting in the media. The media is focusing on a spike in cases. There's a problem there. When the media doesn't want to tell you the whole story, they want to tell you the bad news and not the good news. And again, part of it is there are people in the media who really are afraid you're going to get overconfident and you're going to start spreading the virus through your behavior. You're going to get overconfident and you are going to go out and do things you shouldn't do and the virus is going to spike. But I got to tell you, increasingly, it is obvious that there are a whole lot of people out there on the left and in the media together who just don't want there to be any chance of an economic resurgence. No one's suggesting we're going to be back to where we were uh, at the end of last year. No one is suggesting that. But if the American people feel that we're headed in the right direction, if they feel like the trajectory is good, guess what? It's going to work. We're, We're going to overcome. We're going to rebound. And they can't let that happen. They can't do it. And that's striking to me that they can't be honest about what's happening out there because they're afraid that the economy might rebound and the president might get reelected. There's this moral crusade going on right now in the media. They, everything, you know, it's very much like, uh, look at the gun control issue. Whenever there's a shooting in this country that gets media attention, the the media overwhelmingly goes to gun control. Overwhelmingly, you're not allowed to dissent from this position in the press. You're not allowed to. The NRA immediately becomes the bad guy. There can be no dissenting opinion. And that's very much what it is right now happening with the president. If you're in the media, this is a moral crusade. You see it with the media's unwillingness to hear other other people on global warming. You hear it with the media's unwillingness to hear other advocates or or advocates for the Second Amendment when it comes to gun control. You frankly, you you hear it on abortion rights. On abortion rights, it's always a, a sympathetic female against a man that rarely, rarely, rarely do they ever put on a female pro-life advocate for which there are many who are very articulate, wonderful people who could go on, no, 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 no. They want to put on a man who wants to restrict abortion against a woman. There are editorial biases and moral crusades in the press, and stopping Donald Trump has become one of them. It is abundantly obvious at this point that stopping Donald Trump is a moral crusade for the media, and as a result, that's going to shape all of the media's coverage. And you better be mindful of that. You better be mindful uh, that it's going to shape the media coverage, and they're going to leave out key details along the way, and they're going to amplify. Look at the Rick Bright situation. Rick Bright, uh, who 
Uh, uh, people who work in the Obama administration and the Trump administration come forward and say, wait a second, this guy's not telling you what really happened, why he was reassigned. And he says, no, 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 you can't say that because right now he's telling us what we want to hear about Trump. That's what's going on. When we come back, we'll talk to the governor of Georgia about the good news here. Right now, I want to remind you, this hour has been sponsored by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are out of Noonan, Georgia. Since 1993, First Liberty has been helping small and mid-sized businesses become big businesses and get access to capital. Uh, They want to help you right now get into the payroll protection program if you need the payroll protection program. The payroll protection program was set up by Congress during this virus situation to allow the federal government to maintain your payroll for you so that you could avoid laying people off while also letting people stay home to prevent the spread of the virus. Uh, If you continue to maintain your payroll under the PPP program for a period of time, uh, your loan for your payroll becomes a grant and you don't have to pay it back. And if it stays a loan, it's a super low interest rate loan, but you got to apply for it. And to apply for it, First Liberty Building and Loan out of Noonan, Georgia, they can help you nationwide, but they're right here in Georgia. They want to help you. You need to go to firstlibertyga.com. Firstlibertyga.com is their website. There's an apply now button. Click the apply now button. Fill out your paperwork, get your payroll in order, all the proof of payroll in order, your uh, quarterly filings and whatnot. Get it together so they can help you get in. They can't guarantee that you'll be able to get into the program, but go to firstlibertyga.com and see if they can help you. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Yes, I got to find a better way to introduce you because, I mean, it's my show. You should know. The phone number, though, if you want to call in and talk to me, although you can't this half hour. Well, in the next 15 minutes, you can't call in because I got the governor of Georgia. Uh, But now, yes, I have the governor of Georgia. Um, The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I had to pre-record the interview yesterday, so... Um, you'll, you'll just have to, you'll have to deal with me, but I'm going to play it for you because there's really good news in Georgia. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, the number of hospitalizations in the state of Georgia has declined, uh, below a thousand. In fact, the, the news is trending so good in Georgia that, uh, there are now data truthers on the left who have sprung up to claim that Brian Kemp is rigging the data. Because, you know, one of the things I've said all along is that when you confront new information about this virus and, and the situation, you should be willing to change your mind. And I've said that a lot about my friends on the right uh, who have been disagreeing with me as more and more data has cropped up. It turns out the death toll really is that bad. The infectious rate really is that bad. Uh, the fallout really is that bad. The economic devastation really is that bad. Change, change your mind on stuff. And people on the left were cheering me on for saying it to my own side. And now they're like, no, I'm not changing my mind. Uh, the data must be rigged. It can't be that good. It, it, it's not that good in New York. It can't be that good in Georgia. They can't bring themselves to recognize Andrew Cuomo has screwed up, while people like Ron DeSantis in Florida and Brian Kemp here in Georgia have actually done a good job. And, in fact, they have done a good job. It hasn't been flawless, but it's been very good. No one's perfect, but it's been far more perfect than what happened in New York. And we're not seeing the devastating numbers like New York is seeing. Even outside, you know, you you can track from the data. You can separate New York City from the data for New York, and it's still bad in in New York. Even without New York City, it's still really bad. It's still over a hundred thousand people got infected in New York. Even when you subtract New York City from the situation, it's bad. And that didn't happen in Georgia, and that didn't happen in Florida. We did not see the spillover. We did not see a need for the uh, Georgia World Congress Center spillover facility. 
Uh, the Phoebe Putney situation down in the Albany, Georgia area is continuing to improve. Their, their numbers are going down every day. They're not seeing spikes. They're not seeing resurgence of the virus. Things are going well. So I sat down yesterday afternoon on my other show. Uh, the governor couldn't come in this morning or yesterday morning because of his commitments, but he wanted to be able to come on and wanted to be able to hit the Atlanta market and hit the rest of the state. And there's only one person you can do that with in the state of Georgia. That would be yours truly, where you can come on on my morning show and then I can rebroadcast in the evening for the Atlanta area, or you can come on to the Atlanta area in the evening. I can rebroadcast to the rest of the state the next day. Yeah, otherwise, you got to go to the, the, those liberals at Georgia Public Broadcasting. But here, you can actually get an intelligent conservative to ask you. I know I shouldn't be be patting myself, but still, I'm impressed with myself. Uh, we're now the, across the entire state of Georgia. You can come on this program and hit everything, and the governor wanted to, and I wanted to sit down with him. But I, you'll hear us say good afternoon and all that because I we actually talked to him yesterday, late yesterday afternoon. Uh, we recorded the conversation. For me to bring to you this morning across the state of Georgia, here now, my conversation with Governor Brian Kemp. The number of people in the hospital for COVID-19 has declined below 1,000. Really good news. Uh, joining me to talk about that and uh, the other news related to the virus and the recovery, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. Thanks for having me on. It's really good news, but we got to keep our foot on the gas. What we're doing is working. And I just really want to thank the people of Georgia for adhering to the guidance and guidelines and and helping us keep moving in this right direction. I I get the sense out there. Take take for example the issue this weekend with the uh, with the antibody test that got roped into numbers and then pulled out. That there are a lot of people who they they don't trust the data. Can you talk about the antibody number issue that happened this weekend? Yeah, it was just a uh, you know look our public health officials, if you even might can imagine, have been working long hours and you know many days during the pandemic it's unfortunate that they're they're getting attacked in some ways and it was a data entry area era that was corrected and you know we apologize for that and move on it's unfortunate that people are making a big deal out of that we've got a you know a, a tremendous amount of data points that we're dealing with every day the information is on the department of public health's website and it's correct. You know, we've had a couple of things that, that weren't at times, but, you know, we own that and moved on and are doing our best every day. And I just appreciate all those public health officials that have been working so hard during the pandemic. But it's really not a big issue. People can trust the data. I certainly do. And, you know, there's a lot of data points that we look at uh, besides the number of new cases every day. I mean, we're talking to hospital CEOs, looking at our bed counts and many other issues that are happening on the ground every day that, that show the signals are headed in the right direction. What we're doing is working, and I just want to urge the origins to continue to adhere to that guidance. Now, there was a report out this morning. I saw the AJC mention it. You had talked to the president, or the, the president had mentioned you on a call the other day, uh, that he has noticed uh, the reopening in Georgia and that things seem to be going well. Yeah, we had a great call uh, yesterday, and actually uh, our First Lady Marty Kent was on the, on the call with the nation's governors and the president and the vice president and his team, and uh, the nation's First Lady Melania Trump was on there really focusing on children's issues, mental health issues, and other things that are becoming quite a concern. It's something that I've been talking about and I've been worried about for a long time now, that there are ill effects of being sheltered in place and 
not having our kids in school or being having the ability for them to be in public and be at our daycare or you know a lot of screenings for cancer and other treatments are down and so there's a lot of repercussions um by sheltering in place and not having our businesses and normal um, things that we do every day up and running in our state and that was a big focus of the call yesterday but also a lot of great news coming out of the white house they have uh, sent us a, a lot of testing kits it's allowing us to ramp up our testing you're seeing that in our numbers there we've moved from uh, we're 20th per capita in testing today out of the 54 states and territories a month ago we were 46 so we continue to ramp that up which is a big part of being able to reopen and you know get our economy back going in this state and i just appreciate the ppe they've sent to our nursing homes and then we had uh, quite a conversation about rendesivir uh, a medical treatment that they've shipped out to the states we've now received two of those treatments and we've got uh getting those out to our hospitals to really tre- uh, treat the the worst of the covid patients that we have in the hospital now so hopefully that's going to be helpful to them as that kind of trial uh, continues and there's there's a protocols on how the hospitals have to do and and basically make sure that they're documenting uh, how that's working and then lastly they talked about this uh, potential vaccine that's been through a phase one trial that they're cautiously optimistic about it doesn't mean it's going to work out but it looks really good right now as they move into the next stage and that was very promising to hear from the president and you know it was a really good call yesterday the the country-wide numbers are starting to look a lot like what we're seeing in georgia so we're all excited about that can you give us an update on the Gainesville and the Albany situations? The, the we had the bad fallout in in Darty County, but also the hot spot in Gainesville. Yeah, Albany is doing really well. Well, their hospital numbers are are looking really good. You know, they've peaked and have been coming down for quite a while now. It's important that they continue to follow the guidance down there to make sure you don't have a you know, a recreation or a spike, we continue to focus on testing and, you know, especially there in the communities around there to make sure that we, you know, have continue to have that under control. Uh, we continue to work in the nursing homes in all parts of our state, but obviously down there as well where we had some issues early on. I was in Gainesville last Friday, and I tell you, they're doing a great job up there. The community has embraced the fight. Um, with testing and raising awareness, especially in the Latino community. Uh, John King, our insurance commissioner, I, I asked John to go up there several weeks ago. Uh, he speaks fluent Spanish, um, you know, is the first uh, Latino constitutional officer ever in the state of Georgia, and he's kind of leading the charge up there. He's got 30 years in the National Guard. He was actually deployed to New York and to new orleans to help with the covid fight and he's back home now so he's got a lot of experience and knows what to do and he's done a great job and uh, we visited the hospital where we're uh, standing up a mobile facility much like we did in albany that's uh, come along very well but they're holding their own up there uh, it's starting to flatten and get on the other side of the peak a little earlier than they thought it would so we're just continuing to urge everybody there to follow the guidance as well and to use all these best practices to help continue to drive that curve down and and let's get over that hot spot up there in the Hall County area.
Now, just two more questions for you here. One is we keep hearing about this worry of a rebound in the state. Uh, what are public health officials telling you about the potential for a rebound? Well, I think there's definitely the potential for that when the flu season starts to kick back up. You know, this fall when it starts, the temperatures start cooling down is when you normally see that, certainly into the winter. You know, what that looks like, I don't know that people really know for sure. Some speculate it, it may be worse than this round. You know, but I think there's others that think, you know, maybe this thing plays out and, you know, it's not as bad. I don't know that anybody really knows. It's, it's a lot like these models we've been following. They were good to, to give you guidance, but most of them, I think probably all of them were wrong. They end up changing a great deal. But, I, you know, to me, Eric, I, I think we have to take the fight to the virus. Um, you know, it's going to be here for a while until we get a treatment or a vaccine. I do believe there's reasons to be optimistic about that, but still we're going to have to go into the fall probably without having that. So we got to figure out, you know, how we open our schools back up, how we go back to continuing to open our economy back up so that we don't have the negative effects of this economic devastation that we're seeing right now with 1.6 million Georgians filing and file for unemployment and, you know, it's putting a strain on our budget. We just can't continue that way. So we got to figure out, um, and that's what we're doing every day, is we're hunkering down and figuring out how to fight two battles now, the COVID-19 battle, but also the battle to put people back to work and to turn this economic engine that we had before this started and the great job that the president did with that and the great job that we've done in the state. We had the lowest unemployment we've ever had since we started keeping records at 3.1%. Uh, before all this started, and we got to get that back, and that's what we're working on. Governor, last question for you. I've been was reading today an article at CNN about the restaurant industry, and some Georgia restaurants were cited that uh, with social distancing in place, they, they're still thinking economically it's going to be difficult for them to reopen, that they may have stayed to go uh, longer. Is there any sign on the horizon that we may soon be able to uh, even more increase uh, the amount of people in restaurants to be able to get them back up to full steam and get restaurants reopened? Yeah, excellent point, and that is true. There's been some, especially the more high-end restaurants, that just can't make the numbers work under the current guidance. We're looking at that right now to see. You know, we made a we made a small adjustment the other day to try to help some of those, so I think that's been beneficial. We'll continue to look at that as we watch the numbers and, and get the guidance from Dr. Toomey and her team at, at Public Health. But there's some creative things going on in our local communities. I know a lot of the local officials are looking at, at closing certain streets where people can pull tables outside so they can expand their capacity to sit people, to serve more customers in a safe environment. Uh, you know, I was in Cartersville last week and dined in at a local restaurant up there, and they were, they were doing really good. That being an area where they could do something like that. And so, you know, I want to continue to urge and work with the local officials on things like that. But we gotta, we got to keep thinking outside the box and, and looking at the guidance and move, move it as the data moves in a methodical way like we've been doing. But we also have to continue to be creative to make this work in this new environment that we're going to have to live with uh, for, for many months here in front of us until we get that cure or vaccine. Well, Governor, listen, thank you very much for taking time out of your day uh, to talk with us. And that is great news and, and hope we keep trending in the right direction and appreciate your hard work. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. 
Hello there. So good news in Georgia and thanks to Governor Kemp for stopping by. I am glad to take your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Want to touch on just one of the issues in our conversation that made a bit of news is the real recognition that there are those out there who they may very well, given the situation, not be able to reopen their restaurants and other specialty businesses because they can't get enough people. And just, just think about this with, with restaurants. You, you got a restaurant situation and it's higher end. It's, it's not your local watering hole and your restaurant tables and chairs are designed to maximize the profit per seat. You know how many people you need to bring in each night to maintain your standards and quality of service and the meals you provide. And because of social distancing, you can't, you can't operate a restaurant where every other table has to be empty. You're just not designed that way. This could put out of um, business some of the higher end restaurants. Now, a lot of the higher-end restaurants, by the way, they've been helping each other very collaboratively. Like uh, Hugh Atchison, uh, who has a number of great restaurants in the state, uh, some in Athens and Atlanta. Uh, my buddy Ryan Pernice at Table in Maine and Rojo Hospitality, Fort Fry and others. Uh, you've got a lot of these larger upscale restaurants that have moved to to-go, moved to helping local businesses, local community. They've been, they've been doing really, really good stuff. But uh, one of the things you seriously, genuinely have to keep in mind is that they've got a, a table capacity and a revenue per chair that they've got to be able to meet. And if they can't open and meet that, uh, the wait staff, the, the, co the cook staff, the kitchen staff, everybody, they're going to lose a lot of money and, and they're going to sooner go out of business by reopening. And it's counterintuitive to think about to some degree. They actually uh, increase their odds of going out of business by reopening as opposed to just maintaining to go where they don't have to have the wait staff there. Uh, they can minimize the kitchen staff. They can minimize the cleaning crew and all that stuff. We're going to have to find a way to do that. And that's one thing the governor and I wanted to talk about. And he, he raised that issue and they're still trying to figure that out. And I don't know that they have a good answer for it. It's like offices. So my office just sent me a survey. Now, I had pre-recorded that interview uh, late yesterday with the governor, so I took the survey. Uh, and it's about uh, when are you comfortable going back to the office? I'm comfortable going back to the office. Uh, so I typically work from home anyway. But I try to go to the office about once a week, and I'm typically in my office. I, I'm not wandering the halls. Uh, I'm, I'm not glad-handing with people in the office. But the radio industry right now is in a situation where uh, in most radio companies, except for my parent company and in my, my other job, uh, so my evening show, I don't actually get paid. I don't have enough advertisers to get paid on the show. I have an evening show, and I get paid on that show. Uh, I'm hoping to get more ads on this show so I can actually earn a salary, but I've been doing it for free since August and we'll keep on until, until the morale improves and the situation changes. But for the evening show, uh, it's with Cox media group in Atlanta and they just got bought by a private equity company. And it's one of the very few in the industry that hasn't been rocked now by layoffs and furloughs with economic downturn. And I'm sure there are people who are concerned. Maybe that's coming and I don't know that it is. I don't know that it would be. But there are going to be people in companies 
like mine who they feel like they need to be in the office to be seen. And there, there's a there's a psychological thing about being in the office and being seen by your bosses. And a lot of companies, mine and others, are going to have to deal with that. How do you reassure employees that you can work from home and you don't need to come to the office and that you should not come to the office if you feel sick? And we're not going to penalize you for that. And I don't know how employers anywhere are going to be able to do with that, but they're going to have to do it. Because the fact of the matter is most Americans typically have a very strong work ethic and they will work through sickness. Like, for example, two, three months ago, uh, what was it? Back in February, I lost my voice and I was still trying to come on. And, and Charlie and Philip had to tell me I wasn't allowed to come to work because I was planning on doing it. In fact, I was going to come back that Monday and my wife had to call Charlie, uh, my producer, and, and say, hey, you got to you gotta not let him come to work. I was going to do it. I mean, that's the way I was raised. That's the way many of you were raised. And we're going to have to reprogram ourselves to a degree to say, hey, go to work, but just not to the office if you're feeling bad. Don't potentially spread a virus for which there's no vaccine yet. And you're not going to be penalized for doing that. And and don't worry, you're not going to get punished. You're not going to in some way be, be sanctioned for not doing that. Employers are going to have to figure out how to do that. Otherwise, they're going to get sick employees who come back to the office and spread a virus and it becomes harmful. Going to have to figure that out. Um, it's just going to be very, very interesting how this works, how people start to reopen, but at least we're headed in the right trajectory. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. So I need to talk about the Ahmed Arbery situation for just a, a minute. I'm, I'm really perturbed by this. So uh, down in Brunswick, Ahmad Arbery was killed by uh, Gregory and Travis McMichael. Uh, it appears Travis McMichael fired the fatal shot. Uh, Arbery is no saint. Uh, Arbery ha- has a record. He has issues in the past. He and Gregory McMichael apparently had a run-in in the past. And McMichael had a reasonable belief, had a reasonable belief, I I think it's safe to say, had a reasonable belief that Arbery may have been involved in uh, some burglaries. And I have a question. Why does any of that matter? The New York Post is running a story about uh, a 2017 uh criminal situation with Ahmed Arbery. No one has claimed he was a saint. Why assassinate the character of the dead man when it really does nothing to the facts at the time? Um, if, if Gregory McMichael and his son were dealing with Ahmed Arbery at that time, at that burglary, then maybe it would change the situation that they claim they they thought maybe he was fleeing the side of a burglar that they they didn't actually have knowledge of it the the you know i used to be a lawyer in georgia i'm i'm inactive on the bar now i'm not active i don't practice law anymore but but i at least know how to research the law and there there is a a case in georgia in fact you know what hang on a second uh, let me let me read for you the relevant bit of this case because this this is this sets the 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 pattern, the fact pattern for 
a citizen's arrest. So th- this is this is from the Supreme Court in Georgia. This is about a, a, a case, um, a Carter v. State from is the 1990s, and Carter claimed uh, that he was justified in his response based on how someone handled a citizen's arrest. Uh, this let me read you the, the relevant part here. The police report stated that Edwards and another man had once chased an individual whom they believed had burglarized the other man's home and assaulted the individual with a baseball bat. Carter intended the evidence to support his justification defense by showing Edwards' purported propensity for violence. In response, the state contended that Edwards had not assaulted anyone, but rather had merely effectuated a citizen's arrest. At the state's request, the trial court had a jury charge on citizen's arrest. Even though slight evidence is enough to justify the giving of a jury charge, we conclude there was not enough evidentiary support in this case to warrant the trial judge charge on citizen's arrest. Although, and this is a relevant part here, although a private person may make a citizen's arrest, only force that is reasonable under the circumstances may be used to restrain the individual arrested. Certainly under the facts that were recounted in the police report, Edwards' alleged assault of the individual with a baseball bat entailed the use of unreasonable force and could not have been part of a legitimate citizen's arrest. Accordingly, the trial court erred by charging the jury on citizen's arrest. Now, when you go down the rabbit hole of the law of citizen's arrest in Georgia, here's the thing. If someone is fleeing from you, because of an immediate crime committed. You can give chase to detain that person, but you can't beat that person with a baseball bat. You can't kill that person. The reason you can't is because Georgia incentivizes law enforcement arrest, not citizens arrest. And to allow a citizen to gun down someone who is fleeing from a crime is illegal in Georgia. Someone breaks into your home and you chase them out of the house and you shoot them as they're fleeing, you've committed a crime. Now, I get emails on a regular basis from several white supremacists who have taken to listening to every word I say on Ahmed Arbery because I live rent-free in their head and it's actually kind of awesome. Uh, They're having to put up with me. Uh, and what I told them before, I, I just now auto delete the emails. I don't even look at them. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's like getting emails from the devil. There's, there's just no reason to get it in your head. So, uh, everything is set to auto delete, but nonetheless, uh, before I started doing that, I was telling them that you can't use self-defense in citizen's arrest. Uh, When in Georgia, it's very clear that if you're trying to detain someone, and that person is defending themselves because you're holding them at gunpoint, you don't have a right to self-defense. And the facts in this case, as we know this are, maybe the facts will change, but as reported, as stipulated thus far, there was no immediate crime. 
there was no immediate crime. Uh, Ahmed Arbery had been looking at a construction site. The owner of that place says there nothing was stolen. Everyone does it. And now we know that the McMichaels actually pursued him for some time. It wasn't an immediate thing. It, it appears more and more that Ahmed Arbery was not out for a job. He was running to escape these people. And they blocked his path. And they pointed guns at him. And he struggled with them and they killed him. Maybe more will come out at trial. Maybe, maybe, maybe more will come out at trial. Maybe so. Maybe we all have it all wrong. But here's what I know for certain. Slandering Ahmed Arbery, who is no saint and none of us are, over something from 2017, uh, really doesn't do anything to advance the case. Doesn't do anything to advance why did he die. I, I, I guess these are things from the McMichael team to try to uh, smear the character of Ahmed Arbery and, and uh, raise the reasonable belief that, oh, yeah, he, they knew he was a bad guy. Was he armed and dangerous? I, I, I haven't seen that in the prior reports. Was, was he armed and dangerous? I don't think so. I think what we're seeing here is is a defense strategy, and you're allowed a defense strategy, uh, but it's using newspapers that purportedly lean to the right to smear a dead man who had no business being detained uh, by two individuals who were not part of law enforcement. They could have called the cops. They, they could have called 911, and they didn't do that at the time. And it's really infuriating to me. There's this strain of contrarianism now that, that has cropped up across the board uh, where people just want to be contrary. If you, if you, whether it doesn't matter what you're talking about these days, the weather, theology, cooking, you name it. Like, for example, for example, this is, this is a, a good example, although y'all will hate it because it's, it's me talking about cooking. So it, it, you should follow me on Instagram, E.W. Erickson, E-W-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, E.W. Erickson. You should follow me on Instagram. You'll like me better on Instagram. I put up a recipe on Instagram the other day. I, so I've been working on a barbecue sauce recipe, and I really like it. Uh, I, I kind of like sweet and spicy, and so I've got one. It's not vinegar or mustard-based. It's, it's a ketchup-based barbecue sauce. Uh, it's got brown sugar and honey and, and lemon juice in it. It's, it's more citrusy. You add cayenne pepper to it. You add a little bit of mustard to it. Add some Worcestershire to it. A word that I took me forever to learn to say. I used Worcestershire sauce or whatever. Took me forever to say. But, but it, so I make this recipe. It's got onion in it, and it requires margarine. Now, I based it on a recipe that said to use margarine, and I tried it with butter. And it turns out that the butter doesn't work quite as well because the butter has a tendency to separate more than the margarine. It, uh, it doesn't immerse into it. It doesn't blend well. Uh, you get the butter bits can burn. Uh, it doesn't last as long in the refrigerator if you use butter. Uh, there are reasons to use margarine. So I put this recipe up on Instagram just just because I had been making the sauce. You know, you don't need a sauce for a good barbecue. And I make fantastic barbecue. And, man, I'm so excited about my Rectech. I'm ready to do a brisket now. And it was great. And you don't need you don't need sauce. You, you don't need barbecue sauce for good brisket. But if you find a good barbecue sauce, you want to use it. If you have a good recipe, you want to use it. I've been working on this recipe. Now, some of you are thinking, why didn't you use Mr. Griffin's? Well, I used Mr. Griffin's the other day on my chicken. 
By the way, Mrs. Griffin's is a this is perfect segue to tell you that Mrs. Griffin sponsors the show, and they're the oldest still manufactured barbecue sauce in the United States for retail. And you can go to your local Publix or your Ingles or your Walmart. You you can find it on grocery shelves across Georgia, and it's a Georgia business, and it's really good. It is an old school South Georgia barbecue sauce recipe. They still manufacture it, and it's delicious. And so you should go find Mrs. Griffin's and try it. If, if you're not going to make a homemade barbecue sauce, but I wanted to make a homemade one the other day. And so I made it and I may still tweak it. I tweak it every time, but I put up the recipe online. I really do have a point here. Trust me. I really do have a point here. So I put up the recipe online and I, I put a note in the recipe that I put on Instagram. Be sure to use margarine. Don't use butter. The number of people who decided to chime in, oh, always use butter or so much better than margarine. I agree. I, I use butter for everything, but I tried this recipe. I've worked on this recipe for more than a year to get it the way I want it. And it turns out that just like the one I based it on said use margarine, it actually works better with margarine than butter. And the number of people who, for the sake of argument, just, no, 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 use butter. You, you should use butter. They never, they hadn't even made the damn recipe. They just wanted to argue on the point of my note to use margarine instead of butter because butter is superior. Yes, butter is superior, but it doesn't work well in this recipe. People just want to argue for the sake of arguing. They don't even have any knowledge uh, of the situation. They just want to argue for the sake of arguing. They're like a 13 or 14-year-old. I've got a 14-year-old now. I love her dearly. But, man, you hit 13, 14, while my 11-year-old is hit the same. Just want to argue every point. And, sadly, my two kids uh, can run circles around you in an argument. It's very endearing, but come on. Sometimes there's no reason to argue. And a lot of people are acting like a 13 or 14 year old. They just want to argue everything. Oh, well, everyone says Ahmed Arbery should not have been gunned down. So let me now take the opposite position because I'm not going to go along with her. I'm a leader, not a follower. So I'm going to stake out my own position. You can stake out your own position and be an idiot. It is, it is possible to be so committed to marching to your own drummer that you march off the cliff. And no one else does. Hmm. Everyone else is hitting their brakes when they go around the curve. I'm going to floor it and see what happens. And then you die. Some people just willfully, they, they just willfully want to be argumentative. Come on, people. We see this on the left. We see this on the right. We're seeing this now with, with the with the COVID-19 data as the situation improves. Well, Everyone on the right is saying this is improving. It can't be so. This might help the president. I'm going to dig my heels in and say the data is wrong and they're fraudulent. You got no proof of it, but by God, you're going to double down. And, you know, the media will give those people more credibility. Just everybody's got to be a jerk. Everybody's got to be argumentative. The, the whole thing is silly. And yet that's where we are in, in a, uh, a contrarian society. When everyone goes in one direction, listen, there's nothing wrong about going in the different direction. Let me be real clear here. Uh, some contrary level of contrarianism is good. It can save your life. But, you know, also, at some point, you do arrive at the solution. Did you know I didn't actually know this until a few years ago? Did you know that the land masses of the planet are on plates? These are our continental plates. 
And we have the ring of fire and the earthquakes and, and mountain chains can be explained by these continental plates on which the land masses float above the magma, the, the, the molten lava underneath the earth. They float and, and they shift and they move and it causes earthquakes and it causes mountain ranges. Uh, the Himalayas continue to grow because the Indian subcontinent, which used to be its own mass, is pushing into southern Asia and it's causing the Himalayas to rise. We have the the the, the San Andreas Fault and, and the like along the Pacific Continental Shelf as it is uh, careening into the North American Shelf, and one is being pushed under and the other is being raised, hence the Rockies. We have buckling and things like that. Did you know that that did not become the accepted theory until the mid-'80s? Mid-1980s, not 1880s, 1980s. There were multiple theories until the 1980s. And it's still technically a theory because something could come along and change it. But at this point, it's largely settled in the scientific community. And yet there are some people who refuse to accept it because they've just decided to be contrarian. For a long time, there were contrarians who were the continental plate advocates. And it turns out they were right. Sometimes contrarianism isn't a bad thing. But over time, you actually do get the truth of the situation. And there are some people who still double down. But here's the problem with contrarianism right now is there are some people who want to be contrary, not just to reason, not just to facts. They want to be contrary to morality. They they see what's happening with the Ahmed Arbery situation. And they see everyone coming out and say, you know what? This kid was no saint, but he didn't deserve to be gunned down in a citizen's arrest. And they are now expending all of their emotional energy to try to paint him as a bad guy and pull up old case. It just, it's, it's sad to see some people that's in there. Some contrarianism is good, but sometimes we just got to admit that some people who are doing it, they're just jerks. Yeah, I'm going to send out my barbecue sauce recipe now that I've been talking about it. So text recipe to 33777. You'll get the barbecue sauce recipe as I begin slowly to roll out the recipes. There are a number of words you need to text. Let me give you one that I haven't asked you to text before. So I've been making a series of endorsements around the state. And I'll read you some of them. A lot of them are in, in Metro Atlanta. Uh, and I, I will I'll fill you in on those as well. Uh, one of them is in the Harrelson County, Polk County, Paulding County area, and that is Jason Anavatarte, who is running for the uh, state Senate. Bill Heath over there is retiring, a good conservative, and he needs to be replaced by another good conservative, and I've known Jason Anavatarte for a long time and would absolutely support him. And uh, he is being smeared and trashed and slandered. Uh, Jeff Duncan, our great conservative lieutenant governor, has come out this morning and endorsed him as well. And and really hope that you'll consider, if you're in the Harrelson Polk, uh, Paulding area, supporting Jason Anavitarte. Uh In the 14th congressional district, uh, Marjorie Green, I think she's going to make the runoff. Uh, and if you want to get a good conservative into the runoff with her, so so you have two people to choose from, uh, Marjorie Green, of course, and endorsed by Jim Jordan, uh, I would go with Kevin Cook. Hands down, I would go with Kevin Cook. Uh, and here's why. Kevin Cook 
and this is the the Rome and, and north of Rome area here. The reason I would support Kevin Cook over the other people in the race who would get into this runoff is because then you'd assure yourselves you got uh, two conservatives to choose from in the runoff. But more importantly, Kevin Cook stood up to Speaker Ralston when others would not. Uh, Kevin Cook is one of the few Republicans who is willing to sign uh, the resolution to call for the ouster of David Ralston, and that matters greatly to me. It matters greatly to me. Uh, Kevin Cook is a guy with a legislative record, and that legislative record is 1 billion percent conservative. And so if I was there, I would I would vote for Kevin Cook. Listen, there, I, I, I'm not going to say an, an, an ill word here about Marjorie Greene. Uh, and I you but there's going to be a runoff and, and she's getting in the runoff. By the way, I, I have seen the polling. Uh, she is getting in the runoff and you want to play your cards right to make sure you get a good conservative in that runoff. So you got two conservatives to choose from as opposed to a bunch of squishes. So go with Kevin Cook. In the northeast corner of the state of Georgia, I would go with Matt Gertler, 100% Matt Gertler, uh, hands down. Now, listen, I, I like Paul Brown. Paul Brown is, is a good man. He's a friend, uh, but Matt Gertler is a fresh young face. Brown's already been there, ran for the Senate and lost several years ago. It, it, it's time to send a, a new fresh face to D.C. I would send Matt Gertler. He is a good dude. He's being slandered and smeared uh, by his opponents right now because he has so much support up there. They're trying to time to white supremacists and all sorts of stuff. Uh, don't believe it. Go vote for Matt Gertler up there. If you want to see my list of candidates, you need to text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Text Eric to 33777. Uh, I got a list of candidates out there. I would do Rich McCormick in the 7th Congressional District. He is a solid conservative. If you're in the Cherokee Fulton area, you want Michael Caldwell for the state Senate. Uh, you got to make sure you send Chuck Payne back to the state Senate. Up in the Dalton area, you got to send Chuck Payne up there. You got to send him back. Um, there are some good people, good people who need to get there, good conservatives. You're lucky you got a great list. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. Welcome, the phone number if you want to be a part of the program. And wow, did I just open a bag of worms I need to discuss with you guys. <laughs> the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So, uh, I have, I, I, I got a number of, of candidates that I'm supporting around the state. Uh, one of them is in Upson County. If you're listening to uh, WMAC in Macon right now, uh, that reaches into Upson County, uh, where Beth Camp is running to uh, succeed Ken Pullen. Uh, Ken's a friend of mine. He was in the legislature. He was there with those brood of vipers for like one one term, and he's like, I I'm done. Uh, so uh, Beth Camp is running to replace him. And man, so Ken Pullen, when he ran for the state house, Ken rallied to beat a Republican incumbent who was one of the allies to the Speaker of the House. And uh, the guy was a total uh, protector of the Speaker that the, the guy Ken beat. And Ken, he knocked on all the doors. We sat down and we met. And I mean, he just, he ran such a good campaign. He's such an upstanding, wonderful guy. And he was there for a term and decided he had had enough, uh, had other things in life that were more important, so he's not going back. And who to replace him? Well, naturally, uh, the Speaker and his allies and, and all the lobbyists in Atlanta want someone who will give them all your taxpayer dollars. 
And so they've, they've rounded up someone to run. And uh, Beth Camp has stood up and said, no way, I'm going to run. And so if you're in the Upson County area, the Thomaston area, be- vote for Beth Camp for the state house. Uh, if you want to see the list of, of the people, text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, my name, text Eric to 33777. Um, I need to tell you though that i since i I mentioned this last night on uh my evening show and i've mentioned this this morning and goodness gracious the number of people who have started emailing or texting friends of mine how can i get his endorsement i want his i don't know you people i'm sorry there are people like like in bibb county where i live uh david clark the the da uh, he's running in a Democratic primary. Now, now I'm going to vote in a Republican primary. This is part of the, the issue that some of these candidates are dealing with. I'll be voting in a Republican primary. Um, but he's a good guy. If, if you're a Democrat listening to the show in, in, in Bibb County, David Clark, he's a good guy. Uh, I didn't support him the first time, but he's turned out to be a great DA. And I, I'll gladly support him again. Uh, I'll gladly support him in the future. I'll vote for him uh, in November. Uh, even if there's a Republican on the ballot, I think he's done a good job. I, I would vote for him. Um, if there's not a Republican on the ballot, by the way, uh, for DA in, in Bibb County, it'll, it'll just hopefully be him. But years ago, I started doing endorsements when I was at red state and it became a thing. I, I literally was sitting on my, y'all, I'm not making the story. David, did I say Clark? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Dave. I'm getting text messages from David Clark, who was a state rep. And I said, David Clark, it's David Cook. Uh, Philip, thank you. I, I'm literally, as I'm talking, I'm getting a text message from David uh, Clark and I'm meeting David Cook. So sorry, uh, I should not be staring at my screen while I'm talking. I need to close my eyes, but then that gets weird on the live stream. So David Cook. Vote for David Cook, please. <laughs> and David Clark, I'll return your text message. Um, <laughs> I'm on radio. Okay. In all honesty, though, I'm not making this. So I lived in a house. Uh, those of you who know where Rosa Taylor Elementary School is in, in middle Georgia, I lived just down the street from Rosa Taylor Elementary School and was in my house one night, and it was midnight, and I was watching the Olympics. And I forget, I think it was the Winter Olympics. And yeah, it was because I was watching the skeleton. You know, the skeleton is like the, the greatest, the greatest of the Winter Olympic sports because you could die. I mean, you could watch this sport. You know, a lot of those sports, you're like, eh, so what's the one with the brooms and the, and the, the weights my, my, my fellow Swedes love? Um, I mean, I'll watch that one just because I'm fascinated by it. I, I got to gotta have a drink while I'm watching it, but it's it's amazing. You get a few drinks and you watch that. It's impressive. But the skeleton, you could die. I mean, you're on the, you're on this little bitty sled with your body and you're going down this, you're going through this ice tunnel and you're going almost 100 miles. You could die. It's impressive. And I'm watching and it's on like midnight. It, it's somewhere in Asia. And so I'm watching it live around midnight and my phone rings. And this is back before I decided if I didn't recognize the number, I wouldn't answer the call. And I answered the call and I'm not kidding you. It was a guy running for a state legislative seat in Oregon. Who someone, and he didn't tell say who, someone gave him my number. And the guy wanted my endorsement when I was at Red State, wanted me to write about his race. I'm like, I don't know you. I I I have I've got no idea who you are. I'm not supporting you. I, I don't know you. I'm not lending my name to people no one vouches for. 
And it became more and more of a thing while I was at Red State because the site was really influential when I was in charge of it. And I, I just, I, I've got, I, I finally had to come up with a way to insulate myself. And so I have a, I have a group of friends who I rely on. And my friends send me people that I should look at. And I know my friends are Christian conservatives uh, who, who believe that we need Republicans elected who will stand up to the powers that be. And so I rely on my friends or my own personal relationships with people who are running. Uh, like, for example, David Cook here in Macon, who's running for DA. I, I didn't support David Cook when, I, when uh, he ran the first time. He was running against a friend of mine from law school. And I like my friend from law school, and he was one heck of a great DA. And so I, I didn't support David, uh, but he won, and he's he's done a tremendous job. He he's earned my vote this time, and so I'm telling people to vote. I I have a direct recognition and appreciation for David Cook as a DA where I live. So I'm telling people, so even though I'm a Republican, he's a Democrat. Uh, he's he's been a great DA, and there are no Republicans running. And so between the Democrats who are running, I would vote for him over the other one. But around the state, I try to do that. And so you can't email me and say, what do I do to get your endorsement? Because your name has not come up, and I'm sorry. And and I, I don't mean to be a jerk when I say this. I'm not trying to be pretentious or holier than thou or anything else. But I'm literally, since I, I raised the issue last night and then now just a little while ago, I've, I've gotten several candidates who are listening. And thank you all for listening. I don't mean to be mean to you, but I don't know you. And I, I'm not going to say that people should vote for someone that I don't have any sense of, that I haven't vetted, that my friends have vetted. And so you're wondering who are your friends who are I'm not telling you. That's the point. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be that way, but it, it has become the best way for me uh, here in Georgia and nationally to find good candidates is to rely on friends of mine who put candidates out there and say, hey, look at this guy. And I, I go to a circle of friends of mine, a very specific circle of friends whose judgment I trust at all times and say, what about these people? And they look at them. They're like, yes, this person is good. But like, for example, Michael Caldwell. Michael Caldwell is running for the state Senate up in uh, Cherokee and Fulton County. Michael Caldwell is a friend of mine. Michael Caldwell, I would go through fire for that guy and he would for me. There, Absolutely, he should be in the state state Senate. He's in the state house right now. He's running against Brandon Beach, who's a very nice guy, by the way. Uh, and that may be why David Clark is texting me because uh, David Clark is his son-in-law. Uh, and Brandon Beach is a, is a nice guy, but Brandon Beach is really bad on school choice and a number of conservative issues. And, and Michael Caldwell is just, he hits the conservative sweet spot on every issue. Uh, he should be in the state Senate. He would move that seat to the right. Jason Anavatarte is a friend of mine I've known for several years. We haven't been to a Braves game lately, but he's a good guy. He's one of the few people I regularly go to Braves games with, and he's a, a good Christian conservative. He's actually being attacked. He's being smeared by people as, as Puerto Rican. Seriously, uh, they're using Puerto Rican as an insult. His dad was Puerto Rican. His dad got a Purple Heart in service to this country's military. Jason was born and raised in Georgia, was on a Hope Scholarship to Georgia State, uh, got involved in politics as a Christian Republican. He was a delegate for Donald Trump in 2016, and he's being smeared disparagingly as if he's some sort of pro-immigrant, uh, pro illegal immigration Democrat. He's not. And I'm glad Jeff Duncan is standing up for him today. I am. And then there's Chuck Payne in, in Gordon and Murray and Pickens and White County. Chuck Payne, uh, the, uh, the lobbyists are trying to boot Chuck Payne from the state Senate. Chuck Payne has an opponent. 
Chuck Payne got in, in in what, 2016, I think? He hadn't been there that long. And Chuck Payne is a solid Christian conservative. And uh, the people who don't like solid Christian conservatives in the state legislature are out to get that man. They are out to ruin him. They are out to drive him out of the legislature. And everyone who considers themselves a Christian conservative should be supporting Chuck Payne. If you're up there, and, and I know if you're listening in my um, – in, uh, my affiliates up there in Jasper or in Dalton, Chuck Payne's your guy for the state Senate. I know Chuck Payne. I can vouch for Chuck Payne. Uh, and then in Woodstock, Christina Singletary. Christina Singletary is running to replace Michael Caldwell. Michael Caldwell running for the state Senate. Uh, there are two people. Both of them are good, but Singletary, and I don't know Singletary. This is where one of the ones where I'm relying on my circle of friends who I trust. And they're telling me, this is the person you need to back, Katrina Singletary. So I'm backing Katrina Singletary. And then in Cherokee County, Raj Sagu, or my, my friend Scott Turner is not running again. Uh, Scott Turner, I wish he was staying in the legislature. He's tired of putting up with the speaker. I'm sure the speaker's tired of him. Uh, and Scott had other things he wanted to do. He term limited himself. And Raj Sagu up there is running, and, and you need to support him. And then there's Philip Singleton, an incumbent in Coweta and Fayette County. The Speaker of the House is trying to get him. Basically, I mean, one of the easy things to do is, is who does the Speaker support? Vote against that person in the Republican primary. If the Speaker is supporting someone in the Republican primary, vote against that person because that person's going to turn a blind eye to corruption. And Philip Singleton is a combat veteran, and the Speaker wants him removed from the state legislature because He's opposed to corruption, which is absurd. And then if you're down in Glen and Long and McIntosh County, Jeff Jones is down there, and he's a solid conservative. I actually talked to him the other day on the phone. He's a good guy. And yet again, the speaker's out to get him. Now, what do Philip Singleton and Jeff Jones and Kevin Cook up in Rome, who's running for Congress, uh, and, and Michael Caldwell, who's running for the Senate, and Matt Gertler, who's running for Congress, what do Jeff Jones and Philip Singleton and Michael Caldwell and Kevin Cook and, and Matt Gertler, what do they all have in common? They were a handful of the brave members of our state house who signed the resolution saying David Ralston's conduct was unacceptable and he needed to go. And every single one of them were being smeared. Every single one of them were being lied about. And every single one of them had the courage of their convictions to stand up and say what the speaker did to help these criminally accused people avoid having to go to trial was unacceptable. And the speaker is a liability to the Republicans and he's going to he keeps working with the Democrats to stay in power like that progressive hate crimes legislation. The Speaker of the House, David Ralston, wants this this left wing uh, progressive hate crimes legislation passed out of the House uh, because he wants the Democrats to continue to keep him in power. And as a result, he is challenging Republicans who stood up to him. He's challenging conservatives. He's challenging the advocates for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and he's putting people up against them. And so you need to stand up and support those people. If you want to see Georgia remain a conservative state, you need to support the Jeff Joneses of the world and the Beth Camps of the world and the Philip Singletons of the world and the Raj Segus of the world and the Katrina Singletaries of the world and the Chuck Paynes and the Jason Anavatartes and the Michael Caldwells and the Kevin Cooks and the Matt Gertlers and the Rich McCormicks. You need to support these people. If conservatives won't stand up and do this, we're going to lose the state. If conservatives won't stand up for conservatives who stood up to the speaker, there's going to be no incentive for anyone to ever stand up to the speaker. 
If conservatives in Georgia aren't willing to look at the corruption in the speaker's office and say, why is he having to work with Democrats to stay in power? This is unacceptable. You're going to cause others to not stand up. You're going to cause others to do the wrong thing. You know, I mentioned David Cook as as, as the Bibb County DA where I am and, and, and called him David Clark as I was getting the message. Let me talk about David Clark for a minute. David Clark is a veteran. And David Clark, and he's supporting Brandon Beach. And, and Brandon's a guy, I'm not going to disparage Brandon. I, I like Michael better as a candidate, but Brandon's a fine guy. Uh, and David Clark is his son-in-law. But, but David Clark wrote the resolution calling for the Speaker's ouster. And he lost his power in the state house. He lost his ranking in committees. He's been blackballed by the speaker. He's persona non grata at, at a number of events. Lobbyists will not send him money because they know they'll never get their legislation through the state house. If, if they were to show up on his disclosure, he didn't want their money anyway. He doesn't need it. He's a very grassroots guy. But he stood up on principle. And he got punished for doing it. Conservatives are never going to be liked by the establishment because we believe you shouldn't spend as much money as you're spending. And so the lobbyists don't like you. The speaker doesn't like you. The people who want the lobbyist money, they don't like you. But it's the right thing to do. And so you as a conservative, you got to stand up for these guys. you got to stand up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm with that guy because he's willing to pick the fights. He, he's, he's the David versus Goliath. So I'm going to stand with him. And enough people do that, you make real change. Take this situation in Upson County. Uh, Ken Pullen ran against uh, one of the, the speaker's allies, had a bunch of people come in and smear him, and he won. He went door to door, beat a guy in a Republican primary who had been in that office for, what, a decade or so? And now he's leaving. And you you see him at it again. The lobbyists, they're, they're funding a candidate over there. And so you got Beth Camp standing up saying, you know what? I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to run. I'm going to go door to door. I'm going to knock on doors. You know, by the way, I offered to do a robocall for Beth Camp over up again. She says, I hate robocalls. I'm not doing them. Good for her. Good for her. You need to support people like that. Stand up for your conservative values because, man, they are coming to get you otherwise. Charlie cut up all this audio for me, and and I didn't actually get to use it. I, 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 I need to use some of it. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The Democrats, looks like they're beginning to cave on a key issue of instead of doing comprehensive uh, packages in Congress to deal with economic fallout of COVID-19, they're going to go smaller. This comes after Martha McCallum had on Debbie Dingell to talk about the Democrats' comprehensive package. Just play another soundbite from some other uh, of your opposition on this that gets more specific about the things that they don't like in the bill. And I'll let you um, respond to that, if you would, please. Let's play that. It mentions the word cannabis, of all things, 68 times more than the word jobs or hire or mentioned in the entire bill. Nancy Pelosi uh, basically lost me with that package when she has $1,200 checks for illegal immigrants. All right, so I mean, you know, just for everybody at home, why would the word cannabis be in this, in this $3 trillion package 68 times, Congresswoman? So first of all, let me say this. I've never smoked marijuana, but I, I have learned as someone who, quite frankly, did not support this legalization, but have now become an advocate for us, uh, if there are people that need it for medical reasons. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people that have health care needs right now that aren't getting the care that they need because 
of COVID. We need to make those patients a priority. So I'm not, it, there are pharmacies that need to be open and accessible. But All right, but let me, I, let me ask you to address the other one as well from Nancy Pelosi, $1,200 checks for illegal immigrants. So this money would not just go to American citizens, but it would also go to people who are here illegally. Is that correct? I, I think you're going to see that they're people that are paying taxes. So it, it, it's people are taking facts and stretching them and trying to uh, cause fear mongering. Let's work together to keep our communities together, to keep this country strong and put out a helping hand up, not out. So the Democrats are having a hard time justifying this pack. I mean, it actually is really, really bad. It's really crazy how much the Democrats are trying to justify a package that bails out illegal immigrants and actually puts them ahead of small businesses in the country. And it's becoming more and more awkward to the point that even Nancy Pelosi is thinking they're going to have to figure out a way to deal with the uh, payroll protection program without everything else, Uh, which reminds me, they may add more money to it. And one of our sponsors is First Liberty Building and Loan. And if you need to get uh, into the payroll protection program, a number of people have reached out to me now who said they did it. They had a good experience with First Liberty. So I want to keep recommending them to you that if your business needs the payroll protection program, particularly now that even Pelosi wants to do a standalone package for PPP, First Liberty, they're in Noonan. Now, it doesn't matter where you are in the nation listening to me right now. um, They can help you. But for those of you here in Georgia where I am, they're local in Noonan, the Frost family, good people. They've been doing this since 1993, and they can help you get into the payroll protection program. You don't even have to call them, which is great. You just go to their website, firstlibertyga.com. They got an apply now button at the top of the site. Just click it. Uh, and you can apply online for PPP right now. You can do it while I'm talking. Get your payroll uh, in order. You got to prove it and let them see if they can help you. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com. They can't guarantee you access to the program, but they'll certainly do their best to try to get you into it. And they're good people. Let them try to help you with payroll protection. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website and they're local. What is the phone? 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm totally going to blame Abby. She and I are texting. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, We we got other stuff to talk about. Uh, We do. Uh, One of them, one of the things I want to talk about is this 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 2024 situation. And I realize, I realize, I realize, I realize, I realize we are... We are not even to November of 2020. And I just, wow, Abby, wow, wow. (laughs) I can't even read. Wow. All right. We we must, we must move on before I get myself in trouble. Okay, I, I realize we're not even in 2020, but I, I just, I, I'm having more and more questions, believe it or not, already about 2024. And, and why is this? What, why are people interested in 2024? I, I've never actually seen it. And let me say, I, I may be the genesis of this for a lot of people because I noted a couple of weeks ago on this program and at the resurgent that there are already people maneuvering for 2024. And it's actually really interesting. I mean, you see this with Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden. Let's not kid ourselves. 
with Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams, Biden has already said he wants to be a one-term wonder, and it is not a coincidence that Stacey Abrams went overboard in her Joe Biden support when Joe Biden said he was going to be a one-term president. Listen, she's been very upfront for years that she ultimately wanted to be president of the United States. If she became Joe Biden's vice president, she could short-circuit the ride into the White House by replacing him for a second term. And there's there's something to be said there. But the Republicans are doing this as well. And people always say, give me names, give me names. Well, you know, obviously, uh, the one guy who's not running for 2024 right now is a guy named Mike Pence, who is running for 2020, who wants to be with the president. And I've been talking to a number of Republican strategists, and, and they, they do think that, you know, if the president wins, then the vice president is a shoe-in to be the nominee in 2024. He's going to be unstoppable in 2024 as a Republican nominee now because he'll be the president's uh, legacy successor. Now, historically, you will recall that two-term presidents tend not to get a third term. Uh, Ronald Reagan going to George H.W. Bush is historically anomalous in the American experience, actually. So the odds would be problematic for the vice president in 2024 um, in a general election, but it would be great for him in a primary. And he's a good dude. I like the vice president tremendously. Uh, We've been friends for a long time. And if the president lost in 2020, I don't know that that would set the vice president up well for 2024 being tied to the ticket. Republicans don't like losers. I mean, if we're honest about it, would the Trump family support Mike Pence in 2024? I, I, I don't know these things. Um, I certainly think he would be the front runner still, but I don't know. But there are others out there. And what's so interesting, I, and the reason I bring this up, some of you are going to be mad at me. Some of you are going to be mad. And I, I just want you to understand that this is coming up. And the reason I'm talking about this is because there's a lot of chatter behind the scenes. And I feel like my job should not just be to tell you what's happening in the news on the front page, but also what's going on behind the scenes. Well, what's going on behind the scenes is, is the donor dance is happening right now. And Republicans are distinguishing themselves behind the scenes of being very discreet, but going on and reaching out to the donors. And, and I'm, I want to bring these names up and you just watch. You watch, watch this, and you'll be more in the know than anyone else. Josh Hawley from Missouri, great guy, uh, good senator, supporting him in his run. Uh, I don't agree with him on on some of his economic populist stuff, but he's making a very persuasive case on bailing on um, – the World Trade Organization and the World Health Organization. He's do, he's a very big uh, advocate of getting out of the World Trade Organization and doing uh, multilateral agreements outside of a, a global governing body, largely because of the Chinese influence. He, he makes a persuasive case. I don't know that I agree with him, but he makes a good case, and, and he's really riding the economic populism. Uh, he's from Missouri. This is very much what Dick Gephardt did when Dick Gephardt was running, and uh, now this is very much what uh, what josh hawley is doing and it's intriguing in that there are a lot of people who thought that conservatives would kind of revert back to the mean they would take a layer of populism 
and it would really be conservatism repackaged with Trumpian populism. And Hawley, to the largest extent, I think, is actually taking the populist element and he's layering conservatism on top of the populist element instead of layering the populism on top of the conservative element. He's a fascinating guy. I'm really fascinated by Josh Hawley. I I really, really, really am fascinated by him uh, because he started out as a club for growth, firebrand, conservative, small government guy, and he's morphed over time and it's an intriguing evolution and it fits being from Missouri, actually. One of the other guys, a lot of them senators, Marco Rubio, I think, is Marco Rubio is trying to to find a, a way forward with economic populism, which is interesting, and, and trying to, to rebrand himself from uh, an economic small government conservative to how do you harness the power of the state for the most good for families, which is uh, he's been a big advocate for families. Uh, and then Tom Cotton as well in the Senate. Uh, Cotton has been very much uh, anti-immigration and strong foreign policy. Cotton is, is I, I've really gotten to know Tom Cotton, and I really like Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton is a really good dude, um, and it, it's kind of funny. The Democrats wanted to find a challenger to him this year. He's on the ballot in Arkansas, and they screwed the Democrats screwed it up and, and didn't make ballot access, which is kind of funny. He's running unopposed, uh, and he's a good, he's an intriguing candidate, particularly from foreign policy, national security perspective. He's been one of the, the first ones out there aggressively calling out China on this stuff, and it turned out he was right. And then, of course, there's Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley is is one. The fact that so many of the other people are taking shots at Nikki Haley right now shows you where they think the threat is. Uh, Haley's got to be careful to not distance herself from the president, but also be her own person. She can't. Uh, these other guys, because they're currently in office, can be their own purpose. Uh, can be their own purpose person. Uh, with her own policy agenda, and, and Haley maybe can't to some degree because she's not in office. So she's got her outside think tank and she's got ideas, but she can't afford to seem like she's undermining the president because they'll attack her for disloyalty, but she's her own person. And by the way, I know Haley and Pence better than the rest of them. Uh, I, I've known Nikki Haley since 2009. In fact, when she was running for governor, uh, Sarah Palin endorsed her and I got invited to come over and introduce them on stage at the state capitol in South Carolina. We've been friends for a long time. She and, and her husband, Michael, uh, I've known them. I've seen her kids grow up. She is super and, and the vice president as well. And I'm going to be, man, it's going to be difficult for me in 2024 if it's going to be her and, and Pence. Uh, but man, I adore Nikki Haley. She is fantastic. When she was in Atlanta a couple months ago, I interviewed her on stage. She was doing her book promotion and she's just, she's such a wonderful person. And they get the buzz, Holly and Rubio and Haley and Cotton and Pence, for obvious reasons, Pence, Haley, being the U.N. ambassador, governor of South Carolina. These other guys, none of them have had gubernatorial executive experience, and I think that does matter. I think we're moving away from senators as president again. We went through this for a while. Republicans have a terrible track record getting senators elected president. When's the last time a Republican got elected from the Senate to the White House? Um, Um... Ever? Did they? Surely. See, Kennedy was a senator and he was a Democrat. They had Johnson was VP, but had been a senator. Let's see, Nixon had been VP, hadn't been a senator. And then Ford had been in the House, but he didn't get reelected. Carter was a governor. Reagan was a governor. Uh, George H.W. Bush had been CIA director, vice president. Clinton was a governor. George W. Bush was a governor. Obama was a senator. I don't think the GOP has a very good track record of getting senators elected to presidents. So what about the governors? 
who else is out there? Well, there are two big names to keep your eye out on running for president. And I don't know that they are because right now they're dealing with this thing called COVID-19 and they're not looking like it. But I would keep, if I were you, I would keep my eye on Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona, who is a remarkable free enterprise a libertarian-ish Republican and an all-around good guy. He's just a a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful good guy. I like Doug Ducey a lot. Uh, And then uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. DeSantis, uh, I spent my entire first hour on how much the media has screwed up the story in Florida. He's going to have a story to tell by the time 2024 rolls around. He will have made it into a second term, we we would think. And he's going to have a story to tell about how the media slandered him while he was getting things right in Florida. He'll have a story to tell, and he'll be able to take that onto a national stage. But you know, there's there's a name I haven't mentioned. Now, I'm, I'm not actually talking about Brian Kemp. I don't think Brian Kemp would run for president. David Perdue. There is a buzz out there in Washington and some of the, the big donors in Atlanta uh, that they would not be surprised if Purdue, if he wins re-election, will run for the presidency because he it would be he he's on the ballot now in 2020. He wouldn't be up for election again until 2026. So if he ran in 2024, he wouldn't have to take his name off. He wouldn't have to step aside to run. He could do it. That would be really intriguing to have David Purdue run too. And I don't know that he could do it because he hasn't established himself with the national grassroots. And by the way, I don't know that he wants to do it. I, I think these others really do want to do it. Um, and I don't know about Purdue, but it's interesting. Several donors I've talked to have said, keep your eye on Purdue. If he, if he wins, he would be a, he would be a guy who could separate himself from the pack in terms of, of ability to have credibility with donors, his ability to articulate a, a Trumpian style populism while also being a free market guy who cares about the budget. He could he could potentially do it. And the Democrats actually like Purdue. The Democrats in Georgia may be savaging David Perdue, but in Washington, they deeply respect David Perdue. He's got a good working relationship with him. They really like him. That would, he would be intriguing. I wouldn't have thought about that one, but in talking to people about this, because, you know, again, and you're wondering, why the heck is Erickson talking about 2024? Well, it's I've never seen it start happening this early. You know, I'm a student of politics. I've paid attention to it for a long time, and I've never actually seen this many people running for 2024 this early. And they got to be real careful how they do it because they can all be attacked for disloyalty. And so I'm talking to some donors uh, in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago about the people who are reaching out to them, and I've talked to several of them, and they, they've had, they've had uh, feelers put out by several of these people I've mentioned, and they're all like, nope, waiting for Purdue. I'm like, really? You think he's going to run? They're like, yep, think he's going to run. Have you talked to him? Nope but they think he's going to run. It'll be interesting. You know, there's a poll out today that shows him in a, a deeply competitive race with John Ossoff. It looks like Ossoff is going to win. Now, this poll is a left-wing poll from Daily Coast. Uh, it is an online poll. Pollsters continue to try to do online polling. I'm still skeptical of online polling, but this pollster tried. And a surprise, John Ossoff looks like he'll beat David Perdue. He's not going to. I think Purdue is going to be fine unless there's some massive screw up at the presidential level. But all of the phone polling in Georgia, which is always more accurate, <clears throat> still shows that the president is doing fine in Georgia. I mean, and this is the thing. This is why the media is, is attacking Brian Kemp and Ron DeSantis so much. It's it's because um, it, it, it is absolutely because they are afraid that 
the governors could become popular because of how they handled the virus and you got to keep them a negative so that you can drag down the president's negativity in in these states because the media is convinced Georgia and Florida are going to go uh, Democrat. That's why there's such a big push for Stacey Abrams. They really, really, really believe that they can make Georgia be in play. They can't. Y'all, I've been in Georgia. I came to, to Mercer University is my alma mater. I came over in 1993 to go to college at Mercer. I stayed for law school, met my wife, and I have stayed living in Georgia. The Republicans, I was involved. I started the College Republicans at Mercer in 94. Uh, that was the big wave where the Republicans took back the House of Representatives for the first time in 40 years. I have been active in politics since then. And ever since then, the media has been fixated on Georgia going blue again or Democrat again, because uh, blue-red wasn't a thing until 2000. But ever since, they, they because, you know, Clinton won it in the 90s, and the Democrats held it until the 2000s. Until 2006, really, the Democrats were still a force in Georgia. And ever since, the oh, it's, it's going to go back. Look at the demographics. It's going to go back. It's going to be Democrat again. we got to make it happen. Every year, they tell themselves this. Every year is going to be the year. Same with Texas. Every year is going to be the year. Demography is destiny. Um, look at Jason Anavatarte. Jason Anavatarte, uh, who is running, uh, is of Hispanic descent. He's born in Georgia, but he's of Hispanic descent. Uh, and he was raised a Democrat, and he's one of those Democrats who became a Republican. Not only Republican, a, a, a build the wall, support the president's immigration policies Republican. And we're seeing this in Texas, too. The longer someone of Hispanic descent stays in this country, the more they identify as white Republican. It's a fascinating demographic shift among Hispanic voters, which is why, frankly, if, if Joe Biden were smart, he wouldn't be going with a black female. He'd be going with Hispanic female for his vice presidential pick because Hispanic voters are way more up for grabs than black voters are going to keep voting Democrat. Barring some major shakeup in the American political landscape, black voters are going to keep voting Democrat. Hispanic voters are up for grabs. And Donald Trump could make a play not just for black voters, but for Hispanic voters in this country. And what you're finding more and more is that uh, as things go along, Hispanic voters in this country have a great propensity to identify as, as Christian conservative Republicans. That's why I, I think Republicans need to, to get a better messaging that on immigration. They don't need to change their position on immigration they just need to talk about it in slightly different ways because by and large, Hispanic voters who took the time to come here legally, they don't want illegal immigration. There are ways to change your rhetoric while keeping your position Republicans should be invested in. The GOP has real opportunities. Remember, the media has treated ousting Donald Trump as a moral imperative. And if it's a moral imperative, uh, they don't care. The, the, the ends justify the means to get rid of him. And they won't be honest with this stuff, but the data is actually not terrible for the GOP out there, even though it's all doom and gloom in the media. It's got to be doom and gloom in the media because that's the way the media thinks they're going to get people to vote for Biden. It is 54 after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson, and I hope you're ready for lunchtime. I am. I'm going back to this. So I started going back to the gym the other day, and it's been glorious to go back because I need it. I, and, you know, I so I realized something during quarantine. You learn a lot about yourself when you can't leave the house. You learn a lot about your family when you can't leave the house. I was texting with a buddy of mine last night to see how he and his family is. They, they've been cooped up for two and a half months. They haven't left home, and he travels weekly for his job, and now he can't. He's like, you know, we've had a couple of close calls with the kids, but it turns out we actually really like each other. 
And I feel the same way with with my family. We actually really like each other. Uh, we, we've survived quarantine. Um, my children survived uh, homeschool with mom. I've got soundproof doors in my office so I can coop myself up in here and, and not have to deal with it. <laughs> but one of the things I, I have discovered is I am really bad at exercise unless I am going to a gym and, and I'm accountable to someone. Uh, I'm just not, I, I don't like to exercise. I need to exercise, but I don't like to exercise, but I actually like going to the gym and hanging out. And I, I killed myself the other day and I'm about to go kill myself again. Uh, and I'm excited to go do it. Uh, and it's nice to have this gym open. And so, so I go to this place in Macon, it's called Tau Training. It's, it's over by the, the, the new mall on Riverside Drive. We call it the new mall. It's been there now for several years, uh, but it's a CrossFit training facility. And I really actually like it. I like the style of exercises. You're doing all sorts of stuff different every day. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but so I went in there the other day and everything is blocked off. And and by blocked off, I mean like there are six foot by six foot squares on the floor that are each separated by six feet. Uh, and you stay in these little areas and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I am, I, I'm just... I'm it's it's been funny to see how people are coming up with things and 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 looking at stuff. Uh, I am amazed by local businesses when left to their own devices, deciding and determining for themselves what's in the best interest of their customers so that they don't have to close down again. And I know from talking to a lot of small business owners that they are frustrated that they feel like they're flying blind. There's such a mix of information. Who do they go to for information? It's contradictory information. Where do you go? And I get that frustration. In fact, the CDC today has released guidelines for small businesses to try to help them reopen what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what they should think about doing and the like. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, though, I got to tell you, I appreciate that at least they're letting these businesses try. At least they are letting these businesses stand up and try to figure out what's good for them and their customers, knowing that if they get it wrong, uh, they could have people not come back and they could go out of business. And so some of them are delaying opening. Some of them are stocking up on PPE to, to make sure they can keep people safe. Some of them are going over and above and beyond with sanitation. Y'all, this is... This is good. We should not be disparaging these businesses. These businesses are making decisions for themselves and their customers, and they're forcing themselves to be educated on it. And I think we should commend them for doing what's right. And we should commend the governor for letting them try. And we're getting back to business slowly, but surely in Georgia, uh, the number of daily incoming unemployment claims has slowed dramatically. The number of people going back to work is great. The amount of traffic is increasing in the state. All of these things are good signs as we start to get back out there in the summer.